You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Have you guys been to Home Depot lately? Prices of wood, crazy expensive. So what we've got going is we've got stuff that was in the works before the whole pandemic. And now when you monkey with capitalism, when you monkey with the free economy, oh, we're going to shut down these businesses, uh, supply chain, shut this down, shut that down, seize operation. Oh, no, we're going, we're, we're going. We're on the rebound. You guys are all open. When you have this back and forth with the economy, with a bunch of different markets, wreaks some havoc with the supply chain, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's a part of what you've got going on with the lumber crisis, but it's not just lumber. It's a number of other things in the a, a wide swaths of the economy are like, oh, we're shut down. Oh, we're open. Oh, so you've got this crazy supply and demand issue going on with, with all kinds of stuff in our economy. Because as we kind of sputter towards that recovery, you're going to have some blowback. That's what we're talking about today. Today, we're going into a journey to the heart of the lumber shortage. Then we're going to read a CNBC article just kind of covering some of the other things going on as well. If you're new here, my name is Sean Reynolds. I'm a real estate guy. I got a couple of real estate side hustles. I read the news that reasonable people want to hear. Okay, let's go. A journey to the heart of the lumber shortage. I mean, the title of this article is Log Jam. You just, I got to love the print media and how they try and grab your attention. And they do, guilty. I am a sucker for some amazing clickbait. You, you name it, Log Jam. The late pandemic supply chain crisis. We got a supply chain crisis, an opioid crisis, homeless crisis, back to blue crisis. We've got all kinds of crises going on, right? The supply chain crisis never smelled quite as good as it did on Wednesday morning in Searsmont, Maine. Where is that? Obviously in Maine. Don't really know Searsmont though. The air on the 80-acre campus of Robbins Lumber was thick with the scent of eastern white pine. You can almost smell it, right? It's the tallest trees in the Maine forest being sliced into boards. Ah, that part. Uh. You got to get lumber somehow, though, and it is a renewable resource, right? Yet the warehouse, a cavernous hangar designed to store pallets of finished lumber for shipment, was virtually empty. The company cannot keep wood on the shelves. Traditionally, these tiers are about four deep with lumber on both sides. You can hardly get a unit of lumber down the middle, said Alden Robbins, the company's vice president. Look at it now, running at about a quarter of our inventory and we're running at full speed. That's how much demand there is. And if we produce 10 times as much as we produce, we could sell it all right now. Very similar to the housing market, right? And you might think, ah, uh, what are you talking about? Well, if we produced lumber, if we produced housing supply like we did lumber 10 times more, we'd come on the market and everybody would go, yay, we've got lots of houses. Uh, wait a minute, because that demand would outstrip that supply like that, guaranteed. For a while anyway, there's that much built up demand for housing. There's that much built up demand for wood products, right? That morning, the price of lumber futures on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange surged above $1,500 for the first time ever. A 300% rise from this time last year. This is the futures market. Two by fours are suddenly very, very expensive, sending the cost of building a new home up by about $36,000 on average. That's the lumber package. You're bumped up. I mean, it costs, you know, cost X, Y, Z to put all the sticks together to build these homes. 
about 36 grand more now. So you want to talk about rising house prices. It's not just the demand, it's the cost associated with this demand, right? And the lack of supply as well. Man, we are really getting into some econ here, aren't we? Ugh. And this is according to the National Association of Home Builders. Lumber companies are reporting record profits. Shocking, right? They've gone from, oh, we're going to close our doors any day now. Up, oh, no, record profits. But I, the lumber industries, they have been hard hit for so long. At Robbins Lumber, the price run up has been more modest since the company's product wide. The handsome boards of eastern white pine is not structural timber. It's a bit of a niche uh, compared with the two by fours and oriented strand board OSB, a plywood alternative. So those pieces of plywood that have kind of the little tiny pieces in it and they're glued together, used in the typical construct construction of the American subdivision. Nevertheless, Robin says it has been a bizarre experience to open random links, the industry's price guide and find that his wood is worth twice what it was last year. That's weird, right? You go along and you might have up and down by just a tiny little bit. We've had some of that in the appraisal industry. We've had some pretty big increases in our, our fee uh, schedule, especially if you can get an appraisal done quickly. People will pay damn near anything because they just want to get their home purchased and they're willing to go to great lengths and they're competing against a whole bunch of other people. And one piece of that is the appraisal industry. So we're like, okay, we can only do so many appraisals. Here's the one I'm going to take. It's that one at 1200 bucks. You know, that same appraisal used to be 350 when I started. Crazy. But things are a little bit more expensive now, right? So inside the mill, pine logs are stripped, cut, and sanded into lumber over a production line that spans hundreds of yards of belts, chains, and bandsaws spinning at 100 miles an hour. The machinery roars and whines, and the planks turn and tumble from one stage to the next with the deep, constant clattering of a supersized bowling alley. It's a good article. I like this post. It's good. As the empty warehouse attests, the lumber run-up is great news for the sawmill, which the Robbins family founded at the St. George River in 1881. This thing's got some history. It's family. Alden Robbins runs the company with his brother and sister. He went to high school with many of his employees, and the sawmill manager's mom was his babysitter. It's going to allow mills to reinvest, Robbins said, of the price surges, but it's also been tough to see shortages irritate the company's longtime buyers and force locals to bail on a new deck or even a new home. I get asked from, what, from customers who say, why can't you get more product? Why don't you just build another sawmill? Well, it's kind of like saying, why don't you just build more houses and then we won't have this supply issue? That inelasticity of the supply and demand curve this whole thing, right? You can't just all of a sudden, boom, willy nilly whip out some houses. You can't just willy nilly put a sawmill in action. It's not like they're pop ups, you just put a little water on them. And there they are. Doesn't happen that way, right? The long arduous process to get something like that up and running, just like it is to do a development where you've got multiple homes, not just a spot lot spec, you know, one off that kind of thing. Lumber is not the only thing America is short on right now. Semiconductors, boba tea, houses, shipping containers, supply chains snarled by the pandemic are having trouble leaping back to meet record breaking demand. Like that, uh, ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. 
what a disastrous time for that to happen. Talk about literally jamming up the supply chain of the worldwide. That was crazy. On the demand side, the lumber issue is relatively straightforward. Americans are flush, interest rates are low. Wealthier households are buying pandemic-proof second homes or diving into long-awaited renovations. Younger families are trying to buy starter homes and settle down. Many multifamily builders have turned to timber as well, which is now commonly used to frame five or six-story buildings. All that has created enormous demand for wood. That's what you got. You just got massive demand. It's really nothing on I mean, there 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 are issues, obviously, in the supply side, but that's kind of been about the same. They just can't punch this stuff out, right? But the case of lumber supply is a little more perplexing, we're going to get into it true shipments from Canadian forests, which contribute about one third of US lumber consumption have been constrained by tariffs. I've talked about that beetle infestations and wildfires. Those things don't help, but they're not really rocking this side of the supply chain, right? But there's plenty of wood on both sides of the border and fast growing pine in the US South is actually cheaper than it's been in two decades. So what's going on? The lumber timber differential is similar in the Northeast. Consider the case of Samuel Andrews. It almost sounds like a beer, right? Samuel Andrews, whose firm Andrews Timber Company is a member of the Maine Loggers Trade Group. We're cutting logs for less than we got for pulp five years ago, he said, describing an ongoing secular decline in the logging trade. My stuff ain't worth nothing because the markets are so bad. The logging season in Maine is in the winter when the frozen ground can support trucks and other heavy machinery. Andrews used to work 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. every winter, warmed by heated cabs or sweating over a chainsaw. Now he has cut back his hours. This year, he stopped logging a month early and says he will start a month late in the fall. At 67 years old, he could still buy his own saw and try to vertically integrate, but that would cost thousands of dollars and he'd be lucky to produce in a day what a relatively small mill like Robbins can produce in five minutes. So you've got these economies of scale, right? That just kind of aren't really working for some producers. Andrew's son and son-in-law, meanwhile, are home building contractors struggling to fit expensive wood into their budgets. Instead, the culprit is the decade of instability and low prices that followed the Great Recession when America stopped building homes, leaving the lumber trade out to dry. So a lot of this we keep pointing to, we just haven't been building enough houses because of uncertainty with the marketplace. Is there going to be a market for housing down the road? Well, we just came from that little blip on the radar, which was the Great Recession. How many years did that last? That was a nightmare if you're a real estate guy. Getting through that, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare market. <laughs> That's literally dealing with short sales, dealing with foreclosures, going through properties that are vacant, that, you know, people have left kids stuff. That whole thing was just, I mean, it was not only heartbreaking the number of people who lost their homes, but a large percentage of them should have lost their homes because they didn't qualify in the first place. They got teaser loans that didn't make any sense. So now you're dealing with, all right, should we build some more homes? I don't know. And we just haven't had the number of homes in the market to fill the, to, to fill the demand. And now that we've got great demand, we've got even less homes. 
So, so when America stopped building homes, leaving the lumber trade out to dry, the stunted recovery stripped the industry's crucial middlemen, the mills themselves, to the bone. Building a new deck is expensive now because mills can't ramp up to meet the demand surge or won't, nervous they'll get caught with millions in underused machinery when prices crash back to earth. So this is that backward and forward I'm talking about with the economy. Okay, there's great demand right now for lumber. So they start putting into effect, you know, bringing in new machinery, creating new plants, new mills, they do that. And then the demand drop drops. And then they've got all this capacity for what? All right, we could build we could create a lot of uh, lumber here, timber into lumber. We could, but we don't have the demand anymore. So we're just going to stick put with what we got. And that's how you got a shortage, right? Nowhere more than Maine, the nation's fir- most forested state where wood and paper make about, up about 10% of the economy. That's where, I mean, you, that's a that's a lumber community right there. The long-term decline of New England paper mills has taken the bottom out of the timber market here. Lumberjacks like Andrews have nowhere to go with anything that's not grade A saw log. Sawmills have nowhere to send the scraps that remain when a cylindrical log is cut into rectangular boards. There just hasn't been a demand for that product, right? Last spring, for example, a digester that processes wood pulp at a paper mill in Jay, Maine exploded, robbing both Samuel Andrews and uh, Robbins Lumber of a buyer for chips, branches, knotty wood, and narrow tapering tops off the tree trunks, the bits and pieces they don't use, right? The mills, Pennsylvania-based owners have decided not to replace it and laid off more than 150 workers. The story is a typical one in northeastern states where slow-growing trees produce high-quality fiber that goes into dying products like printer paper, newspapers, and phone books. Think about all the things that if you saw a growth curve, you would go, mm, yeah, when's the last time you opened up a phone book? Like, like a white pages. Used to get a, you know, a couple of those, a white pages and a yellow pages delivered to your house every year. And it's like, oh, hey, we get an update on the businesses that will reach out to you via telephone, via the landline. You got that newspapers. I will look at the newspaper for free in the, um, at 7-Eleven. Sometimes I'll pick it up, but then you get that stuff on your hand, that print on your hands. Printer paper. I used to buy printer paper buy the case and it's very expensive. We used to buy legal printer paper because that is what our appraisals were printed out on. Very expensive, very inefficient. Now we just hit a button that says printer, create a PDF, attach it to an email, send it out. Crazy technology, right? It's still not as efficient with all this technology as it was back in the day to slap some photos on and assemble your appraisal. We could put out more volume back then, guaranteed. It's just now we've got all these crazy photos and maps and graphs and stuff in our appraisals. But I digress. In the South, where trees grow twice as fast, scraps are better suited for booming, lower quality uses like cardboard and toilet paper. So there's still stuff that you're going to have to have on an ongoing crazy, you know, uh, uh, just going to have to have. But printer paper, newspapers and phone books, mm, those are those are on their way out, aren't they? Phone books. Not a good one. It's like phone books. I still have a, you know some around, but it's like, uh, why do I need those? I probably don't. Just, let's go put those in recycling. Because I just never open up a phone book. I just use my Google machine on my phone, call stuff from there. It's got that call button. Go to the website, contact us. A lot of options. 
Don't really find those in the phone book, right? This symbiosis is important to the sawmills. Eric Kingsley, an industry analyst in Portland, Maine, recently helped a large company study the possibility of putting a sawmill in Maine. Here we go. We're talking about, all right, new sawmill. The big constraint wasn't workforce labor. It certainly wasn't log supply. Lots of logs, lots of trees. It was, what do we do with all these chips? Where do they go? Who do we sell them to? Because if another paper mill closes, are we going to be able to move these in 20 years? So these guys got to think long term because the infrastructure cost of putting one of these bad boy mills together, substantial, long term, got to think long term, not just, oh, yeah, hey, the pandemic going for another few months in our recovery, when we kind of get back to normal. And I think all these guys in wood, you know, whatever it is, paper mill, wood, they're thinking, well, this is an up and this is a down or it was a down and now we're going up. That's temporary. We're not going to react and do a bunch of crazy stuff. Robbins Lumber has a solution, but it wasn't cheap. Remember, this is kind of a bigger mill. Two years ago, the family committed $30 million to an on-site biomass power plant that uses the mill's waste chips to generate power for thousands of local homes and enough heat to dry its own whiteboards in a massive kiln building before they are shipped to market. The expense of that project is part of the answer to the question, why not build another sawmill? $30 million in an industry with a future that is like, ah, I mean, some of the products, you know, toilet paper, is that going away? Probably not. Not anytime soon anyway, right? Uh, cardboard, we are using cardboard in record numbers because we're shipping all kinds of stuff, right? Boxes, cardboard, stuff. The other lies inside the mill. Step inside and see the bewildering array of technology that's required to turn a log into lumber. A metal detector, for one thing, Maine's eastern white pines may be a century old by the time they are felled to make boards. So a tree might uh, contain hooks, nails, or bullets that can gum up the works. More expensive are the computer scanners that make instantaneous decisions about how to slice a plank into marketable boards for maximum value based on the location of cracks, knots, and other imperfections. The calculations and the cut are made in a fraction of a second. There are 30 pound saws that shape the planks. And this is serious stuff. Do you guys remember the movie with the actor from Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman? It was a logging movie, I think in the early 70s. Paul Newman, I think it was in Oregon. It was hardcore. One of the guys got stuck in the water and as the river level rose with tides or whatever, guy drowned and they had to stick a flag on the log so they knew which log the body was attached to that was a brutal movie but it kind of portrayed okay this is not an easy task logging not for the weak of heart right that was a cool movie i wish i knew the name let me know in the comments i'm sure you guys have seen it it's pretty epic but cool hand luke that's an epic movie too it's on netflix right now check it out if you haven't seen cool hand luke whew, that's good what we have here is failure to communicate. Here and there, as we duck, twist, and climb our way down the production line, the ruddy-faced robin snatches a board from a conveyor like a grizzly bear pawing a salmon from the stream to show me close-up work of all his machines. It's this technology that marks the real impediment to a question to a quick expansion to meet Lumberyard's big offers. A new sawmill could take years to be completed. Inelastic supply 
just like housing, right? Ah, uh, yeah, it's going to take a long time. You can't just boom, create it, sawmill up going, let's cut some timber. And the last lumber price spike in 2018 came and went in half that time, years, just up, down. So these guys are used to that. That's why they're, they're not going out of their way to, uh, you know, just revamp everything on the spot. I was lucky to visit when I did. Next week, the plant will shut for maintenance. Yes, in the middle of an all-time spike in lumber prices, you need good times to reinvest to keep yourself competitive, Alden Robbins said. New blades, new belts, new gears. That's what a good year of sales makes possible. But a new sawmill for an industry that's been in the dumps for 10 years, that will take more than a run on Home Depot. And that's what we've got going on right now, a run on Home Depot because at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody's like, well, if I got to stay at home, that deck is still rotten. It's not getting any better by itself. Let's go out and get some timber. Let's get some timber. Let's get some lumber. We're going to build us a new deck because I got nothing better to do and I'm tired of looking at it. Plus, I'm pretty good with the hammer. I'm not particularly, but contractors are. Hire them. I think that's what most people have done. So yeah, this weird supply thing and uh, lots of people building their decks, buying new homes. Timber price is just spiking, right? Okay, so let's go. That was ma that was micro. Let's go a little more macro. As the U.S. economy restarts from the pandemic, parts of it are severely broken. This is uh, CNBC. You got to count on CNBC for some quasi-accurate reporting information as far as business goes. Um, and I, I do mean quasi because at times you're like, ah, oh, what? Oh, I don't know. The U.S. economy is trying to restart its engine after tumbling into its deepest recession in generations. But a variety of supply chain constraints are threatening the country's rebound. This is that stuff where you're like, yeah, lumber price. I hear that. What does that mean? I don't care. And then you go to the Home Depot and you look at the price of a four by eight sheet of plywood and you're like, holy cow, that's what that means. Good Lord, that's expensive. Why do I want that? Do I really need a new deck? If somebody falls through, how many feet are they going to fall through my rotten deck? And are they really going to get, nah, they're probably going to bounce one time on the lawn. They, they should be okay. I don't really need that new sheet of whatever. No, I'm just going to go play some Xbox, right? Isn't that what some people are doing? The country faces major shortages in everything from labor to semiconductors, lumber, and packaging materials. Not even swimming pools can be counted on this summer with the U.S. running low on chlorine. Do we have a run on chlorine? I also know we have a run on gasoline because of that hacker thing that happened. I need to cover that. The hacker thing that happened. So specific. The scarcity left and right is not only preventing the economy from reaching its full potential, but it's also raising fears of higher inflation as companies are forced to hike prices amid the low supply. So you have monkeyed with free markets and this is what you get. That's what we're doing. Anything else and people... I just, I, I don't understand how people can recognize anything else. Well, you closed it down and now you're reopening it. You think you might have a little ebb and flow there? You think? These shortages, both labor and non-labor, will affect the speed under which the economy recovers. Barclays head of U.S. economics research, Michael Gappin, said, labor and non-labor inputs are complements in production. What? Uh, speak English. You need both. If you can't get my semiconductors to make my autos, then I don't necessarily need to hire more labor right now. Okay. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got the stuff, but you don't have the manpower, or if you don't have the manpower, you got the stuff, 
you know, to put together whatever widget it is. Uh, yeah, there's issues, right? Again, big box of issues for all of your economic tissues. Big box of tissues for all of your economic tissues. That's how that's supposed to go. The US labor force participation rate remains well below pre pandemic levels as many Americans have yet to go back to work. This is partly due to generous unemployment benefits and childcare duty. We talked about that. Uh, yeah, and you've got a lot of people that are probably hanging out at home claiming, oh, yeah, I can't find a job. And one of the things is, is a lot of folks are saying, hey, they're not required to go out and look for a job. So why wouldn't they just hang back, collect their unemployment, do their thing until they're told, uh, you got to go back to work, you need to go earn. Meanwhile, manufacturers, and that's that's the federal extra federal $300 a week supplement, right, that will probably be coming to an end here soon, already has in Montana, I can't remember the other states, but there, I think there's like three states right now that that is either in the process or it's a common folks. Meanwhile, manufacturers are struggling to catch up with a jolt in demand amid supply crunches in components and raw materials. This has stalled the rebound across broad swaths of the economy from housing to services, tech, auto and leisure. This is going to be a longer process coming out than when it went in, Gappin said. Like the global economy is recovering at an uneven pace, it's likely that the US economy is going to do the same. There are some kinks still to work out in the system. And the only thing that's going to help it is time. You just got to get there. No amount of monkeying around with all this stuff is really going to do it. We just need time to kind of get there. And in the interim, it's going to be real bumpy. 10 million jobs short. That's our next section here. While the labor market is ready to snap back, there appears to be a lack of available workers to keep powering the grand recovery. Hiring was a huge letdown in April. We read about that. 266,000 jobs versus, oh, we were thinking like around a million. Not happening. Labor market. So you got a labor market that's just having a tough time. Companies raise alarm bells on chip shortage. Not talking uh, chocolate chips. We're not talking chips from the lumberyard either. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, an already red-hot semiconductor industry experienced a demand explosion in products like smartphones and computers, causing an unprecedented supply shock that grips businesses across the board rushing to meet orders. The semiconductor scarcity has been well documented by executives on earnings calls this quarter reporting season. Don't have enough semiconductor chips. Can't put all of our gadgets together. Bottom line, right? Those were very technical terms I just used. Uh, lumber prices driving up home costs. We already read that. We know that. We know what's going on there. Packaging materials costs soar 50%. There's also a major shortage in packaging materials such as plastics, paper, and metals, which drove packaging costs up more than 50% since the start of the pandemic. Oof, that's not good. All this stuff, all prices are going up, right? You got a little inflation in there. Let's be honest. A rapid rise in e-commerce during the lockdown created a surge in demand for paper packaging materials, which tightened supply further amid reduced waste paper from the retail sector. Okay, so you got that going on. Chemical fire shrinks chlorine supply. Chlorine had already been in more in demand than usual this past year due to pandemic-induced home improvement projects and staycations. Then a chemical fire erupted, uh, erupted at one of the country's major manufacturers of chlorine products in Louisiana, cutting off a key source of supply. 
So it's kind of like the lumber thing from Canada. All right, Canada's not going to send any of their logs here in the United States while the whole Rona thing's going on. We kind of cut off our connection Canada with there. But that doesn't stop lumber. This one thing, a chemical fire, doesn't stop the chlorine supply. But it sure doesn't help, does it? So all these things kind of working together, we're trying to get the economy going, or the economy is kind of trying to go on its own. And it's, it's, it's just got to be a bumpy ride. No doubt about it. Um, that's about, that's about all you can say. Hey, am I going to say anything more on that? No, bumpy ride. Let's leave it at that. We did have a protest here in uh, downtown Bellevue last night. So after the protests in Bellevue were done, uh, I did get a text and a, a text with a few video, one video and a couple of photos, massive amounts. And this is the protest in Bellevue, massive amounts of police and private security. It looked like on bicycles, overwhelming numbers compared to a handful, maybe 50 protesters ish. I couldn't really tell, but it was a very small protest and they were protesting the Billy Graham um, dinner for police officers. They didn't, they didn't want the Billy Graham association. Didn't like them, uh, because of, a uh, anti LGBT, whatever it is. Uh, they, they just don't like the Billy Graham association for that reason. And, um, the Seattle police department had to pull their invitation because it was believed that Billy Graham isn't who Billy Graham association, whatever it is. Um, Police officers shouldn't be integrating with that because it's a bad look to the public somehow. I kind of missed a lot of that. Uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's like if they want to have an award, an appreciation dinner for cops, let them have their appreciation dinner. But some protesters uh, showed up. Not enough. It's Bellevue. You're going to have a heavy show of cops because we back the blue in Bellevue. Sorry, folks. Um, but one of the things that came over the, the loudspeaker that I thought was pretty funny is Lighting objects on fire is not protected by your First Amendment rights. That's literally what they're saying. The unfortunate thing that they were lighting on fire, yep, you got it, an American flag. I'm not okay with that, any way, shape, or form. As a kid, growing up in America, you're taught to respect the flag. You don't let it drop to the ground. You don't drop it on the ground. You make sure it's taken care of. And you certainly don't light it on fire. That was something out of Vietnam. Right, the Vietnam era, lighting, lighting flags on fire. No, that's a huge no go. But that's just where I stand. If you're into anarchy and you know lack of government and all that other stuff, you know, lighting some stuff on fire at your protest over the police having a thank you dinner, then I guess lighting a flag on fire—that's your thing. That's what you're going to get your message out, whatever that message might be. Not really sure. Um, but yeah, that happened in Bellevue last night. So. Lighting objects on fire is not protected by your First Amendment rights. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that we have to actually say that out loud? Hey, lighting stuff on fire. Uh, you realize that this isn't protected. You know what I mean? Crazy times, right? Okay, that's it for me. We covered, oh, Bellevue protests, supply chain, lack of, all kinds of stuff, right? All kinds of stuff. That's it for me on this one. I'll catch up with you guys soon. Thanks again for being here. Sorry, this was kind of random. We shot all over, but that's what the economy's doing right now, right? Ah, uh, go. Uh, no, pull back. Uh, you guys are phase three, phase two, phase three. Uh, what are we doing? Don't really know. But I'll keep you posted right here on the Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Thanks for joining.
You guys stay safe. I'll see you soon. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.